Nicholas Bornovis of Capital Link, and I have also Markella Carag with me uh, of Capital Link, and we are delighted to welcome you today to this Capital Link uh, webinar. Today's webinar is going to focus on the development and outlook uh, of uh, Capital Product Partners. We have with us uh, Mr. Jerry Calogeratos, who is the CEO of the company, and uh, Ben Nolan, who is the head of maritime research at Schiffel. And the two of them are going to uh, go into an in-depth discussion about uh, the company, the sectors that the company is involved in, and uh, its strategy. Uh, please note that uh, uh, at the end, I would uh, uh, suggest that you also read a disclaimer uh, about forward-looking statements. Capital Link is also the investor relations advisor for CPLP. Uh, and uh, please note that you can submit questions during the uh, webinar. Uh, these questions will be taken up by Ben and, uh, and Jerry, and uh, they will try to address them. You can submit questions at any time, and they will be replied at the end. So without any further delay, I turn the floor over to Ben and Jerry, and I thank them very much for being with us today. Thank you, and uh, thank you, Nicholas, and Capital Link specifically uh, for inviting me and, uh, and one of my favorite people, Jerry, to... Uh, talk about his uh, his company or partnership like i said it is uh very pleased to be here and grateful for the opportunity um jerry uh we'll, we'll start and again I, I, just backing up a moment uh if you do have any questions please feel free to submit those i'll try to work them in as we go um and uh rather than sort of waiting until the end we'll try to do it that way um jerry if I could, well, I, I'm not going to, you know me, and I'm not the type to give just a lot of softball questions, but I do want to uh, start with um, with just an overview to level set. Um, give us sort of the, the elevator pitch on who CPLB is, uh, what your fleet looks like, um, you know, where, where you've come from and, and where you're going. Um, thank you, Ben, and uh, thank you for doing this. And uh, Nicola, thank you for uh, Capital Link for hosting us today. Um, so, you know, uh, as I was thinking about CPLP, um, next year we will, uh, um, I guess, celebrate 15 years of uh, presence in the capital markets, um, which uh, for a shipping company uh, is not, not a short period of time. I think we have been around uh, by now for a while. And uh, together through, you know, uh, very different uh, markets. Uh, and I think we have uh, navigated those to the best of our ability, um, despite, um, and despite the volatility that we have encountered. But, we started in a way very dif different, but very similar. We started in 2007 with um, uh, eight plus seven product tankers at the time, all of them with long-term charters to the likes of BP and Morgan Stanley, uh, hence also the name, uh, Capital Product Partners. Um, but the business model remains the same, uh, even if uh, today we don't own any product tankers, that is we invest in assets with medium to long-term charters, uh, which give us and our unit holders cash flow visibility. Um, as we were looking for assets with these characteristics, we have diversified into different asset classes. So in 2010, we acquired uh, crude tankers. 
uh, both as um, you know SIPs uh, as well as through uh, M&A with uh, a merger with crude carriers at the time. Um, then uh, we bought uh, well a sold Rybok vessel which we still own. Um, but also we expanded rapidly into containers from 2013 uh, onwards and lately uh, LNG. Um, but I would say at the same time, we have not been shy of divesting from assets which do not um, check this box. So in 2019, many of our um, older tankers, the original fleet uh, started becoming uh, uh, older and it was increasingly more difficult to secure um, long-term charters. So we divested of these assets in what I think was a very accredited transaction for unit holders. We spun off 25 of our tankers into a new company. We distributed the shares of this company to our unit holders. And then we merged with Diamond Best Shipping in a $1.7 billion transaction at the time. Um, and then um, recently, um, Diamond Best Shipping DSSI uh, merged with International Seaways. I, I still, from time to time, look at you know, the, the, the sum of the two parts. And I think it continues to be a very good transaction for, for the unit holders. Um, I should also say that while we're an MLP in structure, um, our unit holders um, um, file 1099s under the hood, we are a C-Corp. Um, we have paid uh, distributions to our unit holders, be common or preferred, north of $800 million over the last 14 years. Um, and uh, we continue to pay, of course, um, uh, a 10 cents uh, distribution uh, per quarter. And we also have in place a $30 million unit buyback program. Great. Well, that's, that's a good background. Um, you recently uh, have, uh, have acquired or stepped into a, a new uh, area, uh, that being the acquisition of a number of LNG ships. Um, appreciating that those were acquired from the sponsor, and so it's not an, a new business or for let's say the combined entity but um you maybe talk through the thinking on that uh how how people should think about uh the accretion of that acquisition and and where you think that fits into lng fits into uh cplp from a longer term perspective so our fleet today, as you say, consists uh, of containers and three LNG. So we have actually 15 containers. Uh, um, the majority of them are post Panamax vessels. We have one Cape size vessel and um, uh, three uh, brand new LNG carriers. I'm, I think the advantage of having a sponsor like Capital Maritime, which is also a diversified shipping company, is that they have, and together we benefit from that, a, a unique vantage point. So we sit across um, different assets, and um, the LNG market has been our regular for a while. Um, and recently, as we were thinking about what will be the next area of growth, um, we became increasingly wary uh, of uh, investing in the container segment where um, by now asset values um, have uh, increased um, um, to a very large extent, almost irrespective of uh, type of ship. Um, 
and where also the order book uh, has uh, has definitely increased. While we thought that the LMG uh, sector is much more promising in the sense that um, it's more at an inflection point. So LNG production is expected to, to double over the next 15, 20 years. Uh, demand in the Far East um, and uh, Southeast Asia continues to grow. Uh, China will uh, probably outpace uh, everybody else uh, in terms of uh, Japan, in terms of uh, LNG importing. Um, and it remains a very viable uh, solution to energy transition. Uh, definitely not a solution, but when it comes to energy transition um, and uh, especially reducing uh, carbon emissions uh, from uh, burning coal, LNG uh, is going to, to be the um, fuel of choice. So uh, we believe that the long-term fundamentals are solid. At the same time, from um, if you want, Purely shipping perspective, we have seen asset values start to increase. Uh, new building values um, uh, have seen uh, high inflationary pressures, both because of raw com of commodity prices, uh, be it steel or even uh, uh, nowadays equipment uh, has um, increased in price. But also there is competition for slots uh, with uh, with other shipping classes such as containers. Um, and at the same time, we believe that technology is mature enough uh, and we don't expect uh, any radical changes um, so that um, the uh, residual value risk um, uh, is very low compared to uh, the previous LNG generations. So on the back of this, we decided to invest in three LNG carriers. Of course, they come with uh, long-term charges attached. Um, they are very high spec. Uh, SIPs, um, latest type, XDF, they have a really uh, uh, planned uh, uh, on board. And this can be, be very handy when uh, LNG prices are where they are today. Um, for, for your customers, they have an air lubrication system, uh, increased filling limits, and so on. So, very high spec SIPs. And they come with 5.5 year um, uh, remaining charter duration to uh, charters like BP and uh, same year, so investment grade counterparties. Then you look at what those do for us, uh, for the partnership, and um, for example, in terms of EBITDA generation, um, we expect our performance 12 month uh, EBITDA to increase uh, to excess $150 million from 93 million, that uh, is, uh, that's, uh, it is today or with the previous fleet, while, um, if you want operating surplus after reserves, which is a kind of proxy for free cash flow, uh, again, on the performance basis, is expected to increase by 34% or 18 million, just on the back of um, these three acquisitions, which translates approximately to 90 cents uh, per unit. So a highly accretive transaction. Uh, so in a way, the acquisition of the LNGs checked every box. So brand new ships, um, importantly, that comes also with a lower environmental footprint, which is uh, going to be increasingly more important for us and, and everybody else. Um, good charters in place, the good counterparties, good length, accretive to our distributable cash flow, and um, at the same time, we diversify our asset base and revenue base. So um, I think it was a great match. 
without having to take uh, a kind of more risky bet into containers uh, or other more inflated, uh, inflated asset classes. Perfect. Um, we, we have a question that came in related to those. I'm going to get to that in just a second, but uh, I, I wanted to uh, sort of put a bow on, on where we've taken this conversation with a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a little bit harder hitting question in that uh, you guys tend to be somewhat asset agnostic, you know, you containers and dry bulk and historically tankers and now LNG. And, um, I, I think one of the historically one within public markets, uh, one of the things that has been has been sort of a prevailing viewpoint is that they are these are cyclical businesses. Each of these verticals are cyclical businesses, and uh, and investors tend to trade those cyclical businesses or have a view on let's say containers or dry bulk or LNG or what have you. And so when they're looking to make an investment, they're looking to make an investment in a pure play. Um, as opposed to something that is uh, a little bit more diversified and as a function of that probably has a smoother curve of, uh, of performance. Um, how do you, you know, what's the pitch, right? How, how do you say, well, this is why CPLP makes sense as a diversified uh, holder of maritime assets? Uh, I agree with you that um, the the trend um, since uh, shipping companies started becoming public was always the, the so-called pure place, um, giving exposure to uh, very specific uh, segments. Um, and that was more to, as, again, as you say, to cater for investor uh, appetite. But a real business, uh, a real shipping business is a diversified business. Um, we have seen this again and again, uh, both in CPLP as well as in Capital Maritime, uh, the sponsor, which uh, is also very diversified. And we have also seen uh, increasingly more companies, uh, even as of late, follow that, uh, that trend. You have seen um, companies merge with diversified assets. You have seen companies that have been uh, traditionally one segment acquire ships in another. And I think there is a very good logic to that um, because simply in any, in any industry and in any kind of portfolio approach, uh, you want to diversify your asset base and, uh, and revenue base, uh, not to put your, all your eggs in one basket, as uh, uh, people say. Um, so having said that, our business is not a very exciting business. I agree with that. I mean, it's not for, uh, for the people that are looking for the excitement of spot earnings and the related volatility. Um, some companies uh, that uh, have this exposure have done great. Some others uh, we have forgotten about because um, they have been wiped out. Uh, as you know, um, you know, we have raised more than uh, $2.1 billion in debt uh, since uh, we became public, but uh, we never delayed the cent of um, uh, debt service. We never had to restructure debt. We haven't even asked ever for a waiver um, under our governments. And that says a lot. I mean, there are very few companies that, uh, that uh, can do that. 
This is partly because uh, we manage our balance sheet very proactively and partly also because we have had different uh, streams of revenue, not only from diversified assets, but also um, because we have uh, been choosing uh, cash flow visibility. So I think that the value proposition for us is that um, maximizing equity valuation with steady moves, cash flow visibility, and return uh, of some capital to unit holders, while continuing to maintain a strong hand in the balance sheet. Um, so I think the returns that we offer, and especially uh, going forward with uh, the, the pipeline that we have, can be quite attractive, but also for the kind of risk-reward profile that we're offering. So this is not a high-risk, um, uh, high-reward uh, profile, um, but I think a more managed uh, risk. And we have shown this through the cycle. Of course, it's still sitting, but we try to, to manage uh, this risk uh, to the best of our ability. Okay, that's helpful. Um, <clears throat> so now I'm going to work in the, the first of the questions that have come in here, uh, and, it, and it ties back to uh, to the LNG. Um, it, it says, uh, "Can you give an update on the three LNG uh, tankers that are that you have exclusive right to acquire until November 1st, which is boy, not too many days from now?" Um, uh, let's see here. Um, can I guess the question is, can you acquire just one or do you have to acquire all three or, or any update on sort of what the status is or how, how you're thinking about <clears throat> what to do in the next three weeks? So uh, obviously th this is not uh, a very long uh, timeline. So um, we hope to have uh, news uh, by the end of the month as to how we fare with regard uh, to uh, these acquisitions. Um, the, actually, the options agreement does allow for um, um, one of, of, for exercising one, two, or three vessels, so that we have this flexibility. Um, the uh, discussion, as you can imagine, uh, or the discussions, as you can imagine, with regard to the kind of capital that will fund uh, uh, potentially these acquisitions that has started now uh, for, for a few months. I think we have um, a good um, um, choice, um, be it, um, uh, you know, um, from unsecured debt bonds or preferred. We have said that uh, a common, uh, a common unit uh, issue is not our preference uh, given the evaluation location. Uh, we hope to have more news by the end of the month, uh, but uh, we are optimistic that we can uh, uh, deliver on this uh, acquisition. If required, uh, we will of course uh, try to get uh, an extension on, uh, uh, on, this, uh, on this option, uh, but hopefully um, we can uh, we'll have good news. Well, and, and you're talking there about the your options effectively unsecured debt and prefers. Can maybe just give us an update post the most recent acquisition uh, where the where the balance sheet stands and how you view your uh, your uh, war chest of capital to be able to acquire uh, at the moment. So. Performa netted to cap after the acquisition of uh, the last three ships uh, is probably uh, in the 
um, high 50s uh, or 60 percent uh, kind of range. Um, however, given the strong cash generation stemming from uh, these specials, I think the fruit of amortization schedule, you might recall that some of that amortization is um, uh, more heavy upfront. Um, we expect this to come down uh, quite quickly. Uh, also, the uh, valuation of our uh, container fleet has, as you can imagine, increased considerably. So that gives us a lot of um, uh, a lot of room uh, when it comes to LTV covenants. Um, it's actually uh, right now um, the LTV net LTV ratio is at very low levels. Uh, given um, the, both the cash generation as well as uh, the appreciation of assets. So I think there is, uh, there is room there um, in terms of, um, um, in terms of uh, adding on some additional debt, uh, at least in the short term, uh, as we pay this down. Um, in terms of liquidity, of course, uh, it's going to be little incremental liquidity from the balance sheet uh, after the acquisition of the three ships. Uh, having said that, um, uh, obviously, some of our vessels are making more money than we're expecting. A very good uh, uh, example is uh, our sole um, uh, Cape size vessel. Um, you know, earnings today, if, uh, for, um, if you're renewing a charter today, it's probably in the mid uh, 70,000 uh, for a Cape size, uh, which is uh, definitely very different to what we thought was going to be at the beginning of the year. Uh, well, I there was a three-year charter this week. It was lower than that, but still in in the I think high twenties. Even that, I would think, would be a pretty good outcome um, relative to sort of the the mean. Uh, but uh, so I, well, and and just on that, while we're there, so is is the prevailing thought on that one vessel? You probably keep it for a little bit longer since you have some capacity to. Uh, Earn more on it, or alternatively, the price of the assets moved up too. You could probably get more on it if you were selling. So, any any update there? I think we have settled along that we're going to be opportunistic about it, um, and um, we have been right uh, not to divest um, earlier. Uh, we have been enjoying the cash flow from uh, from that asset. Um, as now asset prices uh, start to, to catch up and reflect more the cash flow going forward, we might uh, look more closely to divesting from uh, from that vessel. Um, there is, I mean, it's also an older asset, it's 11 years old. Um, we we are going to concentrate going forward uh, on more modern, more energy efficient ships. Uh, so taking advantage of a great market uh, and um, redeploying that equity, um, I think that uh, that would be a good trade. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there, there's starting to be some more questions that are coming in here. I'm going to try to continue to work them in. And uh, for those listening, if you have more, feel free to lob them in. Um, so this, I think, is an interesting one because you talked earlier about not really being interested in issuing common equity at these prices um, because it's, uh, in your view, um, uh, not adequately valued. Um, uh, could you maybe talk to what you, maybe roughly what you, you the, the net asset value of the fleet to be and 
Uh, and th that gets to the question, which is, uh, in your view, in the, in the view of the CPLP management, uh, why do you think the shares trade at such a steep discount to that NAV? So we don't typically comment on NAV. Um, we are very much focused on delivering uh, uh, on uh, accretion distributable cash flow. But I think on any metric, um, and there are different uh, evaluations uh, out there, um, the, uh, there is a big dislocation between the intrinsic value of the assets and uh, the, our current equity value. Um, now, the reasons behind it, uh, it's difficult to say. I think um, that this is not uh, an ailment that we are only suffering from uh, across uh, the shipping industry. You have uh, smaller or larger uh, discounts to an AV, uh, even in uh, parts that are like the container uh, industry today, today, even in companies that uh, own containers with a lot of uh, you know, spot exposure, quote unquote, uh, they are also suffering from uh, a permanent discount to an AV. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not something that it's, uh, only related to us. Um, the, the book says that um, um, liquidity size matters when it comes to valuation. And uh, we have seen that the larger companies tend to trade better. Uh, and that's definitely uh, something that, uh, that makes sense. And we are trying to address this by growing the company uh, and hopefully improve our valuation over time. Uh, at the same time, uh, taking advantage of that dislocation, uh, we have initiated the $30 million unit buyback program. Uh, we have um, spent um, about um, $4.5 or a little less than that between the mid-February and June 30th, uh, which was our last reporting date, uh, by ba buying back our units. So we do recognize that and we're trying to take advantage of it. I'm not sure if um, uh, these discounts close only by buying back stock, but I think um, it does uh, make a very accretive transaction for the partnership. So we are deploying some money that way as well. Um, I guess the answer is that we will try to, to, de to deliver against our business model, try to continue to, to grow the company with accretive transactions increase our distributable cash flow, return more capital unit holders as this um, increases, and uh, hopefully also uh, achieve a better valuation of the time. Right, so um, we have, even this week, we have seen one of your MLP peers uh, be taken or, or announced plans to be taken private with private equity. Um, and in general, there certainly has not been any um, new MLPs coming into the market. Do you think that, uh, that still being a master limited partnership is uh, the, right, um, the right path forward in the long run for CPLP? And, uh, or, and also, do you think that any element of the valuation discount that you just addressed might be due to the corporate structure at all? 
Well, one thing is for certain, we, we do need to change our name. Um, but um, joking aside, um, we, we have thought about the NFT structure. Um, and um, if it is uh, an impediment or um, a drive on valuation, I don't think it is a material one. Um, it is also helpful for us uh, in a way because being focused on um, operating surplus, distributable cash flow um, makes us more disciplined. So um, accretion has to be tangible um, as opposed to um, many different metrics uh, that uh, people use to, to justify, for example, acquiring a 15-year-old ship uh, trading the spot market. So for our business model, I think it works quite well. Um, in terms of the governance, uh, I understand uh, the, the differences to CPOP, but um, you know, we, I think we have a first-class governance, majority independent season directors. Uh, they come from every walk of the business, be it MLPs, shipping, energy, and finance. Uh, all our transactions are very thoroughly discussed um, and reviewed and opined on um, over the years. And I think also the MLP sponsor relationship uh, has been um, um, a positive one. Capital Maritime has been a great sponsor um, and um, it's a symbiotic relationship. It does, uh, CPLP does acquire ships from Capital Maritime. Um, but um, but you, the flip side of that is that CPLP has a good pipeline uh, always at hand uh, that can wait for the partnership. Um, typically, you pay um, a lot of money for uh, keeping options like the ones that we have today or write the first refusals uh, if they work for a third party. Very often, we buy assets with uh, their existing finance in place. Again, uh, considerable savings um, in terms of uh, fees um, or pricing. Uh, and Capital Maritime has also provided charter coverage from time to time. Um, um, it has um, um, recently provided interest uh, free credit to, uh, to the partnership, has taken common equity at the premium, has bought units. Uh, so all, all in all, I think the MLP structure as we do it um, and um, in view of our business model works well. The support from Capital Maritime uh, has been uh, good and uh, uh, we look forward to, to doing more in the future. Um, and I think we're also at a very interesting turning point for the partnership. Don't forget that we're coming off uh, a very significant corporate event with uh, the spin-off uh, uh, of our tanker business in 2019. Um, we have since managed to grow our, to grow our fleet considerably. Uh, we were at 11 ships, today I were at 19. Uh, hopefully we will grow more. We have a great pipeline of assets, um, good cash flow generation, very good cash flow visibility. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see us deliver on, on all these fronts. Okay. So here's another question that came in that sort of links to your very first comment. Um, and appreciating that, that this is not currently a business that CPLP is in, but that you wear a number of hats over there. The question is, uh, do you have any thoughts on the uh, future trends for product tankers? 
Um, I think I will probably leave this to my colleagues in the product under business. Uh, but um, what I can say is that there is the, the risk is on the upside. Uh, if anything, uh, as economies open up, demand for crude and oil products increases, recent surge in um, uh, gas prices uh, uh, and other and energy prices uh, should uh, drive more use of, um, uh, of products. Um, so refining margins have been widening as of uh, as of late. So all this uh, is a very good backdrop uh, for tankers. Um, supply is interesting. Um, it's not um, as good, for example, as it is in other segments, uh, and we haven't seen maybe the demolition that we wanted. But in the end, in the end, this is a demand-driven business. So uh, we expect, uh, as I said, that the risk is on the upside. But you won't you won't see us in that segment. Um, I think any any time soon. Okay, thanks for clarifying there. So <clears throat> let me ask a question that I know that uh, probably many of the people on the call uh, care very deeply about. Um, maybe walk me through what the distribution, i.e., dividend policy uh, is at the moment, and uh, how, how should investors think about what what the what the strategy is for that going forward, and, and, and what uh, what is fair to assume with respect to growth, and uh, how you're using or distributing your capital. So our stated common unit distribution guidance is ten cents per quarter. Uh, this implies a yield of uh, about three point two percent today. Um, as I said, we have also spent um, um, additional money buying back our units. So if you want, between the first half of 2021, uh, we have spent um, uh, um, um, more like, uh, I would say, um, seven, eight million dollars uh, in, um, in returning capital to unit holders. Um, and we will continue to, with our unit buyback program. Uh, we have left uh, decisions uh, to revisit our capital allocation uh, for the future for after um, we, um, we finish our, uh, our um, options agreement on the three uh, ships. So we want first to see uh, if we manage to um, affect the drop down of the three additional SIPs uh, before we revisit uh, our capital allocation policy. Um, but uh, I expect that um, um, at the end of the year um, and after we have a better visibility of, um, of uh, drop downs uh, and uh, expected the cash flow generation going forward, the board uh, will um, review again. Uh, the uh, distribution policy and capital allocation policy. Yeah, um, so at this point, um, I, I think I'm going to, we'll, we'll start to delve a little bit into some of the various business segments that you're in, uh, may, maybe talk a little bit more about um, some of the, the shipping macro uh, elements. So um, let, let's start with containers. Um, I know that you'd said that at the moment, you, one of the reasons that you were looking to invest in LNG is that uh, there, there may be some, some dark clouds ahead um, for the container shipping space. 
Uh, can you maybe talk through that sort of how you're positioned? I know that most of your assets have long-term contracts, but you know, what do you do? What are you looking to do with the, the assets that you already own and, uh, and, and sort of walk through how you think uh, the container shipping market might look over the next couple of years? Overall, um, uh, I think, um, at least in the short, maybe the medium term, uh, the um, uh, fundamentals of the container market are, are strong. Um, the, the order book has been increasing, that, that's for sure. I mean, uh, in, um, between January to October uh, of this year, we have seen about 3.9 million PEU being ordered. By the way, this is the highest ever on record. Uh, the next, um, uh, the second largest uh, order in the same time frame, so this uh, 10 months uh, has been in 2007 and it was 2.7 million PU. So there has been significant ordering. Um, you know, the order book is probably now in the low 20s. Uh, if you take account into account options and the like, uh, maybe uh, higher than that. Um, so it is a significant order book, but most of it uh, is expected to be delivered um, in 2023. So half of this uh, almost uh, is going to be delivered in 2023 onwards. So there's good reasons to expect that 2021 and 2022 can be good years. Um, there is of course another element which is very difficult to, um, uh, to quantify. Um, or rather to, um, to have a view as to when uh, uh, things will normalize. This is um, port congestion and uh, the whole logistics uh, uh, bottleneck that we have seen. Um, port congestion has gone up uh, uh, by three, four percentage points uh, compared to the average of the last 10 years. This is really considerable. Uh, then there is also um, a problem with uh, um, uh, logistics equipment such as boxes. There is problems with uh, the intermodal transportation in different ports, um, very, very much affected by COVID. Um, and, you know, it's not that we see this, um, uh, these trends abate. Uh, they continue to be strong. I mean, in certain in certain places, uh, we see quarantine rules being introduced for crew changes that are stricter than we have seen over the last few years. So, especially in, in Asia. Um, so things in, in the East uh, don't seem to be opening up. Um, but at the same time, you would think that uh, these factors uh, will uh, tend to be of lesser importance uh, in the near future as things normalize with COVID and people also find other solutions. Um, for example, new boxes have been being ordered all the time and uh, the box situation should improve in the near future. So this leaves demand and supply of ships. So if we assume that demand remains strong and really the, the big um, um, burden of new ships comes into 2023, there's good chances that the market uh, will remain uh, uh, good, at least in the short to medium term. Um, but Asset values have increased dramatically, and it's uh, and while um, while uh, cash flow calculations might make sense, it is increasingly more difficult to invest in assets like that, uh, as they are still operating assets. You still have um, uh, one counterparty 
paying that bill and um, uh, increasingly the, the downside risk uh, when, when it comes to residual value risk becomes, becomes much higher. So that's what's keeping us maybe at this point away from uh, containers. Um, but with regard to our existing fleet, uh, hopefully um, we will be able to take advantage of this market. Uh, we really have one um, vessel coming off charter in at the end of 2020, um, uh, at the end of uh, 2022. That's a 9,000 EU container vessel. Um, but there is a market for forward fixing uh, to the extent that uh, we see an interesting proposition. We might look to fix this for a longer period. The rest is, is mostly fixed. So it's not that we have um, a lot of exposure otherwise uh, in that segment. So just to, and this sort of gets to a question that has come in online, just to sort of wrap up a little bit. As you're looking at the container market and appreciating that this is a really ethereal and probably not easy to answer uh, question, but is it possible or have you seen anything that says uh, with respect to the, the market um, uh, for container ships, how much of that do you think is fundamental demand growth versus how much of it is supply chain issues that might last for a little while, but we're probably longer term transient. I think that's really a very difficult question to answer because a lot of the congestion related issues are difficult to quantify. For example, what happens uh, with regard to uh, availability of trucks and what, you know, one, once the boxes are uh, discharged uh, from the container vessel. That's very hard for us to understand. I think for anybody to quantify. Um, so I, I think it does play a big part, but um, as I said uh, earlier on, uh, this is shipping is a demand driven business. Uh, if demand remains robust, uh, I wouldn't fear um, um, a big shock. Um, Maybe we'll see more normalized rates, uh, but um, um, I, I think demand uh, is uh, also a very important factor here. So I wouldn't just put it out to port congestion and the likes. Okay. So let's uh, let's shift to uh, to the LNG market, which similarly is really, uh, especially the commodity itself, is in a very dynamic time, similar to the container shipping market. Um, the, uh, I, I guess the, my question for you, and you know, we were talking before the call started, you were just in Dubai, uh, last week at, at the big LNG conference that they, I guess, have now, can you maybe talk through, uh, what you're seeing with respect to, um, demand and interest from, uh, from people for LNG ships on a longer term basis and, uh, and maybe how that's evolved even over the last few months uh, with respect to, uh, and again, appreciating that your vessels have contracts on them already, but um, uh, with respect to, you know, how you're thinking about the future of the business. I, I first of all, I was, I was very glad to, to travel again um, and uh, was, was good to be in, um, uh, in Gastec. Uh, it was also very good to meet people uh, who, like me, haven't traveled extensively for almost a year and a half or two years. Um, 
and it was good to see you know people move and uh, exchange ideas. Overall, uh, it was um, the meetings were very positive. Um, there is increased um, appetite uh, for for LNG. Um, it is uh, LNG uh, is uh, demand is being driven very much uh, on the back of uh, CO two reduction policies. It, it does. It is um, a transition fuel, um, but uh, it is um, an available transition fuel uh, that um, uh, can be uh, easily transported, and then um, um, it is also uh, easy to convert uh, power generation from um, uh, coal to LNG. Um, we expect to see more production coming online, uh, quite significant. Um, and um, uh, it does seem that also certain projects that uh, were uh, kind of slow over the last year or so, uh, they will of course accelerate. Needless to say, the current LNG price helps uh, when it comes to, um, to thinking about uh, new LNG production. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, shipping I think is going to benefit uh, most of the new production uh, uh, is coming uh, out of the US. Uh, most of the demand uh, is coming uh, in the East uh, if we wanted to simplify things. Um, and uh, this is very good uh, ton mile. Um, and as a result um, of that, of the, long, of the positive long-term fundamentals, but also because of last winter uh, where um, charter rates uh, spiked and effectively charters could not get their hands on the city even if they wanted to pay those very high rates. Um, we saw over the last um, three to six months uh, a lot of appetite for long-term uh, period uh, charters. Effectively, all available ships uh, have disappeared. Even if you look into the order book uh, and beyond um, today, um, while the order book looks uh, chunky with uh, uh, more than 20% of the current fleet being on order, um, it's, it's questionable whether yeah, there is really 10 ships that have not been already committed to, to projects or long-term VCs. So I think um, the, the sentiment is very positive uh, for LNGs and especially I would stress that for um, uh, ships like ours or two-stroke um, uh, larger vessels uh, with uh, the better containment systems, um, you know, uh, the difference in earnings and the savings for charters are very significant. Um, and as a result, um, uh, all the attention, all the focus is on uh, XDFs and MEGIs um, uh, at, the, at this point. Right. Um, so I'm, we'll try to continue to work in some of the questions that have come in here, but uh, and we, maybe we'll step back onto the LNG in a minute, but another area that I wanted to make sure that we discussed before we run out of time as, as we're, you know, rapidly approaching uh, some time limits here, but uh, there is a whole lot happening and changing and evolving with respect to um, regulations around marine fuel and emissions um, and, um, and alternatives to traditional oil um, as a, or, or oil products as a marine fuel. Um, can you maybe talk, there's a few directions we can go here, but can you maybe talk through what you're doing to manage that? How, uh, you know, how 
your existing fleet. Obviously, the LNG ships can use LNG, but um, how do you think about uh, what is the right kind of fuel when you're looking to add container ships or, uh, or you know, what to do with your existing container ships as, as things evolve going forward? So, yeah, I think this question um, is uh, going to be with us uh, for, uh, for a while, I'm afraid. Um, for, for us, um, the, uh, this question, together with um, the other um, uh, ESG considerations, uh, has come to the forefront. Uh, we recently published, actually yesterday, our um, first sustainability report. Um, and I think, as we said uh, earlier this year, um, the environmental footprint of the partnership and making sure um, we remain um, compliant and ahead of regulations is going to be a major driver in our choices going forward. So uh, part of the rationale for uh, investing in the LNG carriers is that, uh, A, we are part of the um, energy transition um, um, uh, if you want the uh, logistics chain uh, going forward. And secondly, these vessels do burn uh, natural gas uh, instead of, uh, uh, um, of uh, oil, which, uh, which we expect will reduce significantly uh, our CO2 emissions going forward, as well as other greenhouse emissions. You know, the uh, natural gas does not emit any, uh, any particular matter. Uh, and uh, or sulfur and um, our and XDFs have a very uh, low have a very low NOx emissions. So um, it's it's really you can see the the impact uh, across uh, most greenhouse emissions. Um, we have also decided on the back of that that uh, going forward uh, we will uh, invest uh, in um, modern energy efficient assets. Um, even if it is, um, uh, even if the pro propulsion is traditional, and uh, to the extent that we can, we will divest from from older assets. Um, it's uh, I, with regard to the fuel of the future. I don't think that um, the answer uh, is is there yet. Uh, what we expect is that in 10, 15 years from now, you will have multiple technologies. Um, uh, in the water, uh, competing or coexisting rather. Um, so you probably have uh, both um, uh, fuel oil or gas oil, um, as well as uh, LNG, potentially um, uh, ammonia, methanol, um, and um, hydrogen is being discussed a lot, but uh, it's not. Uh, uh, it's not an easy. Um, uh, it's not an easy uh, fuel, uh, but I'm sure that there will be technological advances. Um, and we also expect that there will be a lot of uh, um, technolo technological advances in improvement on existing ships. So there will be significant capex for all their vessels, uh, or otherwise they will simply have to steam at lower speeds. Um, and that's also a reason why we will tend to uh, avoid investing in older assets uh, or uh, uh, try to divest from them if we can get uh, a good return. So uh, it's very much on our minds. Unfortunately, there is no straight answer today, so that increases the risk. And I think um, 
shipping is going to look very different from what it has been for the last 70, 80 years. Yeah, well, it certainly looks very different at the moment anyway. But um, so I, I, I think that pretty much covers my uh, questions. And we're, we're closing in on an hour here. So uh, I, there, I, there is one or two other important things that we need to make sure we discuss. Uh, first of which is, uh, who is your favorite basketball team? The Milwaukee Bucks. Am I allowed oh. to say that? Yeah, uh, I, I think that was a loaded <laughs> question and you didn't answer it the way I thought you would. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. There, there, is, uh, there is a soft spot, of course, for, uh, for Yanni playing at, uh, at the back. So. All right. Um, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then longer term, let's, this is a, a little unscripted here, but... Uh, uh, put on your thinking cap for a second, and um, and and let's look to 2030. Uh, and and from where you sit today in 2021, what do you envision CPLP looking like in nine years from now? How how will it be different? Uh, what do you hope it, it becomes? Um, you know, in shipping, sometimes it's difficult to predict the next six months, let alone the next six years or 10 years. Um, but uh, if I would um, um, try or dare a prediction, I, I hope, or at least I hope that in 2030, we will have more uh, modern ships, more energy efficient, that uh, we would have made the right choices with regard to um, propulsion and uh, technology. Um, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if we are still in uh, similar asset classes, so LNG and containers. Um, I, would, I would be surprised if we were uh, more on, uh, let's say on tankers. I, I find LNG and containers uh, a much more future-proof um, investment, also longer term. Um, but uh, I would like our fleet to be very modern and uh, uh, at the forefront of, uh, of uh, energy efficiency and uh, environmental footprint. All right. Well, there's Nicholas. I guess that means uh, you and I are getting the hook here, Jerry. So uh, very nice talking to you as always. And, and again, while I have the chance, thank you, Nicholas, for, uh, for inviting me to take part. I'm grateful. Ben, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a very uh, interesting discussion. It's exactly what uh, the title is and uh, a, a deep dive into uh, Capital Product Partners. So thank you, uh, both of you, for, uh, for a great uh, uh, review. And uh, just to remind everybody that this um, uh, webinar will also be available for replay uh, upon demand. So with that, we can disconnect. And again, tremendous thanks. Nicola, thank you for having us. Thank you.